everybody. You know, I'm not going to say my interpretation doesn't matter. I would say go to them yourself and find out what they are telling you. Um, and uh, looking at the stars might help you do that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Dry America Show. We're going to be chatting with our old buddy Dave Matheson a little bit later about his new book, uh, Star Myths. But first, as always, Graham Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Nice. Thanks. I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. We had a good week. We did? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I want to give a big shout out to all our new listeners from James Nation's uh event there his band wasted nation wasted nation at morgan's yeah yeah that was a great night and he was totally plugging <laughs> plugging the podcast even after you guys left he was like ah, everybody like podcasts he's handing the cards out for everybody and check out this great america show that was great it's kind of Perfect. actually a little embarrassing sometimes but i wonder yeah i, I don't handle that, that kind of, of publicity in the though. <laughs> yeah that's how i am all the time huh? unless you I'm, that's uh, hence the drinking Hence the drinking, yeah. Makes me more comfortable. That's why you had to leave early. <laughs> That's why I had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you know what he did, which you missed, and I meant to record it on my phone. He asked the question about the Sasquatch, would you shoot Sasquatch or not? And he had it, everybody cheer, and he's like, so who would, who would uh, if they saw Sasquatch, who would shoot them? And a few people like, yeah. And he's like, who wouldn't shoot him? More people yelled and screamed, so the vote was definitely for yeah. Not I think he Sasquatch. he controlled the vote. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I don't take that. It's no good. And he's also handing out fortune cookies. <laughs> Should I give him? <laughs> All right, James, I'll give you the eight point seven. He wants a nine. He's not getting a nine. No, he gets an eight point seven. That's pretty good. So speaking of that, he was actually in the studio with his friend Nads, and they were actually the the synchronicity. Fortune cookie cup people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he donated a laptop for Skype use only, which is awesome. So, and he gave us a bunch of tips on how to connect everything in here. So it's, it's really going to be helpful to have like a dedicated Skype machine and then <coughs> can use my laptop for everything else. So yeah, yeah absolutely. And he's going to help us wire in a better internet connection. So yeah. that'll be good as well. Yeah, so yeah, those guys, uh, Wasted Nation, put on an awesome show. They were a fucking great band. I'm going to go out and see them again. I can't wait. There you go, buddy. I love that music, too. It's good stuff. You you looked the part. I did. Old rocker ground. <laughs> and we met a couple fans. That, that was around. a Halloween costume, by the way, too. Yeah, right. That's just your old clothes. Uh, we, we ran into randomly ran into some fans there, too, which yeah, was kind of kind of weird. Justin, I think his name was. Jeez. I don't think that was it. Really? Maybe. I don't know. I was, my excuse is I was fucking drunk. What's your excuse? <laughs> well, I don't have one. 
Anyways, he's going to write in and we'll, uh, we'll have them in the studio as well. Yeah, it's weird to get recognized in public like that. Only because of the shirt, though. That's the thing. That's Nobody knows what we look like. I think James Nation set it all up. You think so? Yeah. Maybe he did. Yeah, he's like sitting in that corner over there beside the grammar. No, because that was our table. Oh, yeah. That's weird. Well, maybe he And we said, pushed it over. Yeah, that's weird. Huh. Anyway, thanks for absolutely for the hospitality, James. And it looks like uh, we got a new friend of the show. I might go out hunting with him as well, too. So Hunting? Killing ducks and eating with them. who? James. Really? Yeah. He's a hunter. Yeah. Bring your uh, blow. Bring your blow. Bring blow. blow. I don't no, have any blow. blow. Dart. I was gonna say blow dart. Like uh, what do you call it? Tranquilizer. Those days are behind me, Graham. The tranquilizer. Oh no! I, meant, I don't know. I meant to say blow dart. Fuck that! Bigfoot's getting a twelve gauge buckshot right in the chest if he comes around the corner. I won't shoot him in the face because then the face won't be recognizable. We also had a big discussion in the studio with him about uh, C-setting on it, too. C-setting nonsense. He's kind of on the, the Greer fence as well with you. I'm not on the fence, I You're don't think. I'm kind of over the fence. Well, we're going out this Saturday. I think there's going to be a big gang of us this Saturday. It's going to be like minus fucking seven. No, 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 no. no. It's like 12. Tomorrow, it's you 10 degrees. Tomorrow? tomorrow? Oh, yep. tomorrow, tomorrow it's tomorrow not night. too bad. Yeah, I thought you meant next up. Saturday. I think no, we're supposed Saturday. to be snowed in by next Saturday. The lake's froze. This Saturday, Nose Hill Park. Yeah. yeah, have fun. Should Probably going to be, gonna be cloudy. No, when, no, it's supposed to be sunny. Is it sunny? You're going but on we can day? We can just pray for sunny weather and the clouds pray. apart. Yeah. Is that what we're calling it now? Praying for UFOs? <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, I kind of always thought that's what it was, but now you've confirmed. Stephen Greer prays for UFOs. No, it's praying is... Asking and meditating is listening, so we'll be meditating up there. Okay. Actually, we'll be doing both, I guess, if you want to call it that. Okay. So I got another local event call coming it whatever up. you want. Can I talk to you about another local event? Uh, inside baseball for some, but sure. Yeah, but it's fun. It's fun because you can make fun oh, of Oh, speaking of inside baseball, we should talk about that after soon, too. About what? Going on Skeptico. Oh. That's next week. Are we going on Skeptico? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it's... No, we're doing a round table with him, right? On Skeptico. Oh, really? Us and our PJ. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. That's kind of... That's creepy? I mean... Alex creepy. listens to the show. I don't mean creepy in that way. I mean scary. As in, like, nervousness. Yeah, I know. It's crazy to go on a show of a show you've listened to before you started your podcast. Yeah. It's I've funny because remember... Like, that's my goal. Like, I will not miss a Skeptico. Skeptico is one of the shows we took... Remember in the beginning, we did the intro thing from it. Oh, yeah. I remember I used to get Lisa to read the thing. Yeah, same yeah. As, I, I don't know if it's his wife or who reads it, but. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that, we have to talk about that because I have to do some re research for that. And that's coming up. We just have to watch a movie. Oh, it's still a week away. Oh, I keep thinking it's, it's on this the 19th, Tuesday. I right, think. 19th. It's on a Thursday. And we have a doubleheader coming up on the 10th for people. Um, because this will come out before the 10th. And we have Dale Pond from uh, Sympathetic Resonance, the Dale Pond Science Institute. The talks about uh, two months behind. Keely and Tesla's technologies and stuff like that. And then we also the have a, a podcast expert, if you want to call him that. Oh, uh, yeah, Rob Walsh. Yeah, he's on the 10th as well. Yeah, he's VP of Podcaster Relations over at Libsyn, and he's been on the ground floor since pretty well day one. Yeah. Um, he's 
probably one of the authorities on podcasting. So we're looking for like, he knows everything. This yeah, guy will blow you away. Yeah. So it's a little, well, I mean, you guys know how we roll around here. We talk to whoever we want. It yeah. only says often on the fringe. But right. um, this is something I think all you guys will get a kick out of because obviously all you guys are podcast fans. Yep. So he's going to come on and tell us, you know, a little bit of the history of the genre and uh, the rise and kind of where he sees it headed. So that should be fun. And all the technical jargon that some of you might not like it, but I think at the same time, a lot of you might. Yeah. And a lot of podcasters also listen to this show as well. So that'll be good for them. Bingo, bango. So can I talk I'm about, that, that, one. that local event then? That local event, that uh, local sports team. I'm going to go to a bath. A bath? Oh my no, God. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a healing crystal sound bath. So the people that had Grant Cameron here, the secretary dowsers, right? They put on these events every month. I think it's probably the first Wednesday of every month. And it's really cheap. It's like 10 or 13 bucks to get in. And they have lectures there. So uh, this week it's Martha Burkett of the Amorless Crystal Healing Center. When's that? Actually, sorry, it's the Amorless Center for Healing. <laughs> when is it? You should take this Lisa Wednesday. With you. Yeah, it's a healing crystal sound bath. Oh yeah, you should take Lisa. Yeah. So it says. Um, then maybe we can get her to come on the show and talk about it. Probably. So it not. says bring a pillow blanket that some of you may even want to lie on the floor to fully experience this wonderful sound bath. Martha will first explain the how, why of a crystal sound experience, and then she will take us on a healing crystal bowl journey. Crystal singing bowls that will fill your senses with healing sounds, colors, and textures, creating a peaceful space in which to relax, rejuvenate, and heal the mind, body, and spirit. You should go. No, that's Lisa's, way more Lisa's thing, but she can go. I'll stay home and watch a hockey game. Okay, well, tell her about it, and maybe I can, I can take her. If she wants. I actually got, uh, for one of the Flames games, I got the sales rep gave us, gave gave me four tickets. So the first time all four of us can go. Because it's, I mean, to go buy four fucking hockey tickets is a fortune. Right? Four of us? Who, four of us? Am I in there? No, four of us? you're out. Me and the kids and all. Oh, you're taking Lisa. the kids to a Flames game? Yeah. Well, Brick Madison. Are they already. allowed to go that young? Yeah. Well, they're two. Madison went to her first game at two. Really? Wow. Madison's been to a few already. She loves it. We just watched the first two periods usually. Yeah. I've seen enough games. It doesn't, you know, but you know, they get a kick every time a goal scores, the fucking things go off. And these are, these are really good seats. Yeah. (laughs) We're not doing so good. So I'm going to, I'm going to transition from that uh, crystal thing. that reminds me of uh, a trip report we got from one of our listeners. Thanks, Ephraim. That's not Ephraim. <laughs> it reminds me of Ephraim. Okay, so this is from Nikki, the dude. Nikki Benny. Remember I thought Nikki was a chick, a chick for a while yeah. there. He called you on it, though. I, I he's been one of our, he was one of our original subscribers. Yeah, yeah, he's been around for a long time. So thanks for listening, Nikki. And supporting. And, and getting the shirt. So we'll talk about the shirts after this, Darren. So he says, hey, fellas, my schedule has changed so I don't get to Great America as often as I once did. And I was catching up on some shows and listening to the Paul Devereaux Archaeoacoustics episode, and it took me back to an LSD experience I had. Ooh. It was 82 or 83. We walked into this video. It was one or two. Oh, boy. I miss the glory days, I guess. Yeah, you did, man, in a lot of ways. 
you miss the glory days of music <laughs> and the psychedelics. The beauty of, of music is that it was timeless. So it was 82 like podcasts or 83 and we walked into the video club in town. Like, this is cool. Even like, did you have, you know, you probably had never been in a video club. Is that like a, Actually, where you I rent movies? It. No, it's like, uh, they probably show music videos or something like that. You're just assuming. Yeah. I don't, I really, I don't think we had video. Clubs I don't think in there Canada. is, I don't think there is even in, such thing as music videos in 1981. Oh, 82. Yeah. Maybe not. So, okay. Here, let me, this might give you a better idea. So the place was called hot rocks. And he says, uh, that was the name he remembers. So a guy had some sugar cubes, seven bucks a piece. You ever heard of that uh, f- format for yep. taking them? Oh, you have. So we dropped them as Aussie simulcast was about to start, and we ended up in the pool room. Aussie blasting on the video boards and shooting doubles for beers. All of a sudden, I was shooting pool. It was like I was on the table. I could see all my angles. My peripheral vision acute, waiting for the next opponent to rack when my buddy came to me and said, what's gotten into you? (laughs) We've won like four games and I've only shot twice. I looked around the room and everybody was looking at me. And the guy who sold us the cubes is grinning from ear to ear. (laughs) This shook me back to reality. I couldn't make another shot after that. Ozzy ended and we left and headed back home to the house where we were chatting up a storm and throwing knives in the kitchen when somebody started Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti. I was drawn to the living room where I sat on the edge of the couch, listening. There was a big Advent speaker sitting to my left. Once again in my peripheral, I could see the woofer bouncing as a bulldog that lived with us had chewed up the speaker cover. I had speakers like that too with no covers and just the big woofers. So he's at an arcade slash pool hall. No, now he's back in the living room at home. Yeah, but I mean, that's where he was, obviously. I don't know. Video club with pool tables. Video. It's an arcade. Video club. Is that what you think he means? Nicky will tell us. But I guarantee. What do you guess? Well, I thought it was more like a pub. A video club? club? With like an initial videos, right? Like they had simulcast. Like they had simulcast. They had an Aussie concert in simulcast. Are you laughing at me? (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Because that just sounds absolutely ridiculous. That's what I picture. Okay. I've never been to one. I wish you were a good drawer so you could like draw yeah, me the shit that goes through your head. So where was he? So so it was the chewed up speaker with the woofer yeah, bouncing yeah. up and down. He says, all of a sudden Bonham and, and John Paul Jones came streaming out of the speaker in a round three-dimensional wave that could be best described as a large worm. A continuous line of circles weaving up and down in a wave. I looked directly at the speaker, but I didn't see it and heard all the music... As soon as I turned my head sideways, boom, the baseline wave would start rushing by me. Then up and around the room, I could even feel it and wrapped my arms around it at one point. A girl squatted down in front of me and said, what are you doing? I said, I can see and feel the music. She said, you're crazy. Where it's, where's it at? I said, it's gone, but now I can feel you. <laughs> he says... I never had much game, but that was golden. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. Thanks, boys, for all you do, and keep rocking those mics. Later, Nikki, the dude. Nikki, the dude. So, anyways, that reminds me of uh, an LSD experience. Oh, actually, I can tell you about one. It's pretty lame. But... Oh, we got a grammar trip report? Yeah. Let's hear it. This is probably 1980. 
87 or 88, maybe even 99. It's not, it's really not much. But I was uh, in Birch Bay in an arcade, a video club. <laughs> and uh, are, you, are you listening to me? Yes, I'm listening. And we walked out the uh, the ocean had this. I do remember seeing like scenes in the sky in the clouds, like actual like rivers and like I was hallucinating in the clouds. But we walked out on the um, this beach, and it was one of those long, long beaches where the water was like there was just a bunch of weeds and all, right? So we walked out and we were chatting and just just totally distracted, right? Just tripping out and walking out, walking out like miles onto this beach right and then we come to like kind of like he came to and everybody was like laughing at him or whatever yeah. Out and of we came zone. to all of a sudden we and we say we used to say oh we're back we're back oh we're back okay we look around and all i can see 360 degrees around me is weeds nice. and i'm fucking freaking out like how the hell am i gonna get back with all the weeds like i hate oh, you were in the weeds. water we're in the like knee knee high kind uh, of water didn't realize we had walked like into the water a mile into the weeds yeah that was gross I bet. And you got to get gross. back into the, into your, you know, to the now, to the moment where you're not paying attention to it. But doesn't that show you? Like he, he goes on this pool run and it's all like just subconscious, right? He's like not even thinking about it, right? He's, yeah. his brain, whatever the left side of his brain is turned That's off. That's what I'm talking about when it. I'm cleaning my house in the zone. Yeah. Well, that's after the fact. Well, still same thing. He's but just got it then. But that's like the, you know, the artist, the artist way, right? The artist. So anyways, thanks, Nikki. Yeah, thanks to Nikki the dude and Graham for his trip report. Maybe yeah. one day I'll tell you guys my acid experience. We need, we need your, like, your <laughs> almost certain death report. We need that one one day. One day, maybe episode Actually, don't, 200. Did we record it when you were with Randall and Did you tell us no, some guys? No, no we, didn't, we, we missed it. recording then? Fuck, no. that was good. That was a good telling, too. Yeah, you definitely had everybody enthralled. One day. One day. So speaking of uh, Nikki and his shirts, I do have a few left. Uh, and if shirts, people... Um, shirts seem and to if, be popular. And, and seriously, if people haven't got their shirts yet, or if, if the, I haven't responded, please... Uh, just re-email me. Don't be uh, shy about reminding me. I'm, I'm sort of losing track of some emails here. Um, but I have shipped all the shirts that have been on order. So I've got um, four or five left. One Grimerica shirt. I think it's a double XL. And then four Sa Save Sasquatch shirts. Got a purple medium and a purple large. And then I'm, I can't see the sizes on these blue ones. I think there's a, a extra large. And maybe a medium or something like that. So yeah. So if that keeps going well. So what do you? What are we saying? Donations over twenty five bucks or something? Like or was it thirty? Well, we said twenty five, okay. but thirty really helps. But I mean, it's been great actually so far. People have been. Most people are paying forty or fifty, which makes it. You know, it helps because then it supports the show and get and buys the shirt. Yeah, yeah. So I am going to order some more, and I'll just keep everybody in touch with that. And I guess we'll have to buy the. The take the shot Sasquatch shirt for Darren. And not just me. You watch that fucking take the shot is going to fly off the shelves. Throw that fucker on eBay. I want it to. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pretend I shipped them out and just ship them. <laughs> just <laughs> ship else. them all to the same place. Ship them, ship them to your Justin sister in Vancouver and she's burning them. 
taking him down to the pier and throwing him in the ocean. I think you're just worried. Worried that the uh, the take the shot is going to be a hot commodity. Those are, those are good looking shirts though. Which ones? I prefer the don't take the shot and the I'm assuming the take the shot ones aren't going to look much different but I prefer the don't the save Sasquatch to the it's just, it's nice and clean looking. It just flows well for a t-shirt, I find. You think so? Yeah. Over the Grimerica one? Or? Yeah. Well, I like them both. Yeah. But I I really, that that one's really sharp. The, the take the shot one's going to look good too. Maybe one day we'll get toques now that winter's coming. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, maybe even just something simple, a little moai on the front. Keep talking. All right. So I got this segment I want to do. I want to sit, I give a shout out um, to our buddy Todd, I think his name is, who does the Others app, the Others Report app. And uh, he, he pulls out our podcasts and uh, when we release him and he puts them into this app. But basically it's an app. I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's got a variety of news articles. So it kind of collates a bunch of news articles, all the kind of stuff we talk about in America, a lot of UFO stuff. He actually puts out digital MUFON reports on here. So you got to sometimes scroll through a bunch of uh, MUFON reports. But then I'm just going to read some some headlines of some of these things to give people an idea. Because it is really like, it's kind of one of my go-to things just when I want to pay attention with what's going on. So like we got here, like Russia, giant UFO causes people to run away in fear. Gate of the Gods. Or Stargate of the Ancient Aliens. Roswell, The Curious Story of Sheridan Cabot, Part 2. That's from Mysterious Universe. So he's got a lot of Mysterious Universe stuff on here. And a lot of stuff people have uh, heard about. There's some of Red Pill Junkie stuff on here. Blogs from Mysterious Universe. Green UFO seen entering Mount Etna Volcano on Sicily. That one's pretty crazy, actually. Red UFO lands in India and humanoid terrifies villagers. A dizzying visualization of Earth's orbital debris. What else we got here? Oops. The demonic case of Pennsylvania Rain Man. Professors and politicians gather to warn us about the New World Order. Lots of haunting, lots of ghost stuff. It's pretty cool. Why don't people see Yeti anymore? Then there's one about <laughs> about the like, story about the killer Yeti in Russia. Killer Yeti. Yeah. That's why you got to shoot that motherfucker, man. NASA adds evidence of a mysterious ancient earthworks. Can you kill Yeti in self-defense? Or is Yeti's no good? Isn't, Yeti you can shoot, but Bigfoot you can't. Isn't Yeti the snow, snow, abominable snowman one? Yeah. Yeah, he might be different. Maybe he's not as good as Sasquatch. You think he's the evil one? Yeah. That seems pretty racist. It probably is. Yeah. It's probably because I'm still scared of the abominable snowman. And it's because you're a bigot. In the uh, rain, what was that uh, Christmas show? Rudolph? I'm sorry, Rudolph probably, the probably Nose Reindeer? Got PTSD as a kid from, <laughs> from watching the. <laughs> so I got a UFO quote here for us. That's the 
So this is the UFO quote of the week. On looking toward the east, the appearance was that of a revolving wheel with a center on that bearing and whose spokes were illuminated. And looking toward the west, a similar wheel, wheel appeared to be revolving. But in the opposite direction, these waves of light extended from the surface well under the water. Ooh. It's a big USO. You so? You so. That's you from Captain... You so a UFO? That's from Captain Evans, uh, who's a hydrographer to the British Navy HMS Vulture in 1879. Hmm. There you have it. Nice one, eh? Synchros? No, that's about it, buddy. I'm I'm all done. I'm off it. No, I am. No spam. We need more yeah, spam. A little bit of spam, but do I have any spam? Um, for Napoleon, just the episode out. So thanks for that, Napoleon. Yeah, if anybody wants to compete with Napoleon on the episode art, feel free. But he's he's doing a pretty damn good job. It'd be tough to beat Napoleon's art, and he whips it up quick. Like today, I told him I needed, and I feel bad because I, I, we always change the order, and we never tell him. <laughs> so we, I get the art this morning. <laughs> we we got we should apologize officially on the show. On the show yeah. Sorry, Napoleon, for not keeping you in the loop on which ones we're releasing. So where was it? Oh, where the other it? day I told him, I said, hey, if you're doing the witch's ointment art, can you just make that witch on the broom like look like she's having an orgasm? Yeah, he sent me the Maloney part. I was like, not sure who's next in the queue, but I thought, play it safe and get Maloney to you. And then I was like, we're doing Matheson. And he had it to me uh, in about an hour and 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah, so that's it's crazy. like he dropped everything and, and did the Matheson art for us. So big thanks to Napoleon for that. Yeah, thanks, buddy. All right. I think that's about it. Hey, do you please uh, help out the show? Yeah, absolutely. We don't Check want any ads. To, yeah, we don't want to. We don't have ads. We don't have paywalls. We don't have nothing. We interview and give you guys uh, everything for free. And all we ask in return is that when you can, if you can, head over to grimerica.ca slash support. And when you feel you've received a little value from the show, go ahead and there's a, a several different options there to give a little value back, um, send whatever you like. Uh, when Bitcoin you, as well? Yeah, Bitcoin as well on the website. And, of course, when you do get to $432, um, you get to join us for an interview with the guest of your choosing. James Nation, we're inviting you to do one if you want as well yeah, the, right now. Yeah, exactly. You've, uh, you've helped us out enough that uh, if you want to come in here and uh, help us out, like literally help us out in the interview, you can. So Yeah. And we can run that wire at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, the options there. Of course, the monthlies uh, really help. Uh, there's a bunch of different options there. Everything from a dollar a month, which I think turns out to about a nickel an hour each, uh, right up to $30 a month, so whatever fits your budget. And uh, yeah, of Why'd course, you stop at 30 I don't know. I just got sick of typing in numbers. <laughs> We don't, well, I'll tell you what, when we get a couple people at the 30, then I'll add a higher one, but okay. we haven't yet, so. All right, buddy. 
We did get a new 1111 the other day, I think. So we got a couple of those now. Yeah, that really does help. Like, there's yeah. really just a bunch of fi- like I didn't realize there'd be all these fixed expenses starting up a podcast, right? And the donations are really, really helping. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's we what helps gas. us be able to fix. You know, that's how our audio gets better, and that's how um, we get shirts and stuff like that. You know, we've been talking about doing toques or maybe little coffee mugs or something, right? We'd when uh, the more supporters we get, the more the more things we can kind of do with the show. Yeah, yeah, and we do have gas too. As well as as Niles Heckman would say, it's gear acquisition syndrome. And we do live in an igloo in Canada, <laughs> and it is winter is coming, so uh, the heat bill is probably going to go up. So help us out, help keep the igloo warm with our new dual heating system. We seem to be doing all right. Yeah, my legs are a little cold right now. Well, you're wearing fucking soccer shorts, so <laughs> <laughs> we're spoiled. Actually, it's pretty warm considering it's. Uh, Almost the second week in November. Yeah, it's been a good fall. It was last year too, so fingers crossed we'll have a mild winter. Um, of course, review the show. We've been getting a ton of reviews lately. Maybe uh, next week we can we can uh, thank some people there. Um, but yeah, check out grimeamerica.ca slash iTunes and uh, Stitcher as well. Head over to Stitcher, review us there if you've already reviewed us on iTunes. Uh, reviews help. Uh, support helps. Uh I think uh, the thing that helps most of all is actually Spam you guys. And just, well, no, yeah, that helps too. <laughs> but the thing that helps most of all, seriously, is when you guys take it upon yourselves to spread the gospel of Grimerica or fucking email some people, sign them up for the newsletter that Justin does for us, and just spread the word because we have zero marketing other than some Twitter bombing. Yeah, Twitter and Facebook, and really, that's it, the newsletter, so... Yeah, yeah. and we don't really actively promote anywhere, so we kind of rely on you guys to spread the word, you know, send send somebody the show. Every episode, if every one of you shared the show with somebody every episode, we'd be laughing. It's like a little pyramid scheme. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, sign up for the Grimerica Pyramid Scheme. Enjoy the chat with our buddy Dave. Uh, I did got to say Dave was great. Um, he's always a great guest. He's a friend of the show. He's been uh, been listening for a while, so it's always fun to have someone. You know, it's just always fun to have someone you've been in contact with for a while on the show. It's a nice free flowing conversation. Yeah, um, we'll let you know. We will be. I think it'll be coming out. Oh, we'll get to that in the outro. Enjoy the chat with Dave, and we'll talk about it later. Slowly, a girl with kaleidoscope eyes.
Grimerica tonight. We've got David Matheson back for the second round. David was in here blowing our minds about astrotheology and schooling us in that with his uh, his book called The Undying Stars. And he's back now with his uh, with his giving us a sneak preview into his next book, which is called Let me just see here, which is going to be called Star Myths of the World and How to Interpret Them. Did I get that right, David? Yes. Hey, thanks a lot for having me back, guys. It's it's a uh, it's a privilege to be back in Grimerica again. Yeah, welcome, welcome back. It's uh, it's been great keeping track, uh, keeping up with you over the last. I don't know when we when were you on, like probably a year ago or something. Uh, it's it almost about, a year. Yeah. I think it was January. Yeah, I think yeah. it was January. Like forty episodes ago. No, more than that. About forty-five episodes ago. And yeah, I got I've got the busy. autograph book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read busy. it though? <laughs> I think I'm about halfway through it. Not to put you on the spot, I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm about halfway through it. It's one of those Great. ones I can't. Uh, it's like a good uh, to read in chunks, I think, because it's a lot to take in. It is. It was. It's actually. So this book is, you know, as as Graham said at the beginning, this one's called "Star Myths of the World and How to Interpret Them." So it kind of focuses in on the myths themselves. And actually the last time we were on, I think it was the first time I revealed that I was working on this book. I said I was working on kind of a coffee table book was my idea. Right, and it right. was going to go through the myths. And I actually, you know, I, I felt actually a little afterwards I was, I was like, Oh man, I think I, I got a little carried away and revealed my secret project. But anyway, <laughs> they all do <laughs> that in America, David. It's okay. <laughs> I know everybody, you know, just, get rolling but i uh it took a lot longer than i thought and actually so the and the intention was to have this beautiful coffee table book with the myths in the first half with the mythical pictures a description of the myth the actual action that goes on in the myth and then little pointers such as hey can you try and guess here's a clue that i think is in the myth can you try and guess what constellation this might relate to? And at the end, there's a page number and you turn to the back of the book mm -hmm. and there's a star diagram that says, okay, here's my interpretation of this myth. I'm not saying it's the answer key, but this is what I believe that the clues in the myth support. And there's a diagram of the stars. So the idea was to go all the way from every continent on earth, Australia, Africa, ancient India, uh, the Pacific Ocean, the, the stories from... Hawaii and what we call New Zealand, where the Maoris, uh, the, all the different Polynesian myths, and then going up through the Greek myths, the Norse myths, the Bible. Um, so that was all going to be one book. Well, uh, this, this one is now called Star Myths of the World, Volume 1, because I decided to cap it off at 500 pages, and I got up through uh, China and Japan. So... Um, this one covers Australia, Africa, ancient India, the Pacific, the Americas, North America, uh, the Maya, and uh, ancient China and Japan. And I think I already mentioned uh, ancient India. So uh, just that much took up 500 pages. And then I was going to do the next one on Greek and Norse myths in the Bible. And I realized that's going to take up each one of those. So it'll probably be Greek and Norse myths in volume two, and then the Bible in volume three. Wow. How did you decide which ones to tackle first 
Or was that just what you were really interested in at the time? Uh, perceptive, good question. Um, the idea is, so let me just step back a, a, a little bit and say that, um, you know, this, this is not a theory or a thesis that I am the first person to come up with. This has been written about the idea that the myths and even the stories in the Bible um, appear to reflect the stars. And there's been people who have done some pretty amazing analysis on that score. And in fact, we could talk about Plato all the way back in ancient Greece. Plato actually talked about it. But um, for so for so long, we've been taught that they're literal. And uh, even Plato, when he talks about it, he makes fun of the people who try and take them literally. He puts it into a little story and he has, he has uh, one character asking Socrates, hey, do you think this is where this particular myth happened? And Socrates said, you know, the people who try and figure it out literally are, I think they're wasting their time. At least I don't have time for it. And then he says, really, I, I think the main thing, I don't have time for it because I've got to do what it says at Delphi, know thyself. I don't, and, and I think that's a huge clue that Plato is putting in there, that these myths are not literal. They are allegorical, and they're actually pointing towards the goal of know thyself. So <laughs> they, they're there for our, for our benefit. So let me just, um, without getting sidetracked, this is an ancient idea, but the language of the myths is like an ancient language that's been forgotten. And if people used to know it, it's like nobody speaks it anymore. So when these myths come to us, it's like they're a visitor from another culture. And we're speaking, when, when we ask them questions, if we don't know their language, we're not going to be able to ask them what they're really about. Or I think it becomes a hindrance. So um, to get back to your question, Graham's question was, why'd you start with the ones that you started with? I believe that over time, um, I've started to really decipher this ancient language. I'm not saying I'm the first person to do it, but um, I'm really trying to do it in a comprehensive way and then present it to the reader so that you can learn to speak it yourself, so that you can get into conversations with the myths yourself, not always have to ask me, hey, can you translate for this? You know, this myth just showed up from this other culture. I need you to uh, talk to it for me. I want to teach you to speak to it so you can spend your time diving into these amazing myths and you speak their language. So now to answer your question, I try to build the vocabulary kind of step by step. I don't just jump in speaking, you know, with, with a myth that may be speaking really complicated sentences. So I, I just kind of build it very uh, small and build on top of each other and get more and more um, extensive. And so, um, in the first few myths, I keep it really short. And it just so happens that, you know, there's not as much written about, or I'm not as, um, the primary sources from, let's say, the myths of Australia. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that if you were part of the Aborigine culture and, you know, your grandfather or grandmother tells you these, it's going to be really elaborate, but there's not as much written about them. So there, um, and I try and go back to kind of older sources whenever possible. But if the myth is kind of short, and it's kind of, um, you know, it, it doesn't have that many moving pieces. That's probably a good place to start to try, try and build the vocabulary. Whereas once you get to 
Some of the myths of ancient India are really elaborate. They're very involved. They've got lots of players, um, lots of constellations involved, lots of constellations playing more than one different role, kind of like an actor who runs off the stage, changes clothes and comes back on and is playing a different character. They get really complex and they happen to, those texts happen to still be around kind of in their original length and glory. So there's a lot there to sink your teeth into. So I save those for later. So I'm kind of trying to build up. And then, of course, you know, the stories and tales of the Bible are so uh, deeply influential in um, European and Western culture that they've been commented on. So there's even more that I'm saving that for a little bit later. Once your vocabulary, once you're really starting to feel more confident. Anyway, so I'm trying to, uh, to answer your question, I'm trying to teach the reader and build their vocabulary and their grammar. And that's why I did it that way. I think it's important for the timing too, because then this, this rarer stuff that uh, might be a little more attractive, because, you know, we've all heard a lot of stuff from the Bible and the, and the ancient India stuff that uh, this will be sort of, you know, better for the first one to come out, you know, a little more attractive, I think. Get people, yeah, well, get I, people, hope, I hope that get people, people find involved. it interesting. I mean, I think it'll be helpful to go through it in this kind of progression that I've chosen to lay it out. I'm not saying that any of the myths are better or more useful to, to people than any of the others. I think you can spend an entire lifetime diving into one group of myths and probably never reach the bottom of all the things that it could teach you, whether that's the myths of ancient India or the myths of Africa or the myths of Australia or the Norse myths or the Greek myths. I mean, I think you could really go deep into just one of them and say, you know what, these are the metaphors that really speak to me the most. These are the ones that really resonate with me the most. And um, in, in, a, in this volume, I've got really two, two purposes. One is to teach you how to do it yourself, but two is to try and really prove that this is truly going on, that the, prove that this is really... There is a, a common system that's underlying all the myths, not just the myths of the Bible, all the myths of the world that you can find it operating in Australia. You can find it operating in ancient Egypt. You can find it operating in New Zealand or Aotearoa. You can find it operating in Hawaii. How could it be operating in Hawaii and ancient Egypt? And, and there's going to be people who are going to say that is impossible or that, you know, you're just imagining things. So, so the other reason for going through trying to find representative myths from all around the world is to show this is really going on. And if I keep showing you example after example, eventually it becomes pretty overwhelming amount of evidence. So I'm not, so what I'm saying is I'm not trying to cover every single myth from ancient India, mm-hmm. just a couple. Yeah. Not every single myth from ancient China, just a couple, but enough to show that it's going on. Hmm. Are you sticking with the same format idea of the book? Like uh, the pages in the front and then referencing the stuff in the back, like the visual that's aspect? That's the plan. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the way this first one is uh, written. So nice. unless somehow there's a really, uh, you know, unless that really doesn't work for people. I think it's um, actually, I'm glad you asked that because... This was actually inspired by someone who gave me some feedback. Um, so I've been writing blogs, uh, blog posts. It's kind of my workout 
that's kind of where I do my working out to kind of build my vocabulary. That's the wrestling with the myths in order to write about one on a blog post helps me to grow and expand myself. So, um, I got some great feedback from a reader who also recommended some, um, some really fantastic other directions for me to take a look at, like the works of Peter Kingsley. We could get into Peter Kingsley, fantastic, very deep author. Um, I believe he lives in the British Isles and I want to say England, but it might be Scotland. I'm I'm not positive, but, um, fantastic um, book he's written called In the Dark Places of Wisdom was recommended to me by the same reader. But um, that reader wrote to me and said, hey, this is great that you're kind of laying out these myths, but it'd be really great if you could kind of create a course for people to learn how to do this themselves. Wouldn't that be, you know, don't you think there'd be a demand for that? And I thought about a way that I could do that. Of course, I could, you know, call up the you know, the people who put these university courses online and say, Hey, can we put together a course? And maybe someday that, that might be a project. But, uh, I said, why don't I kind of come up with a book that's kind of like, you know, learn how to identify the trees, you know, those books that, you know, you're like, okay, does this tree have two leaves? Okay. Turn to page 25. Um, and so I, I came up with this format of, I'm going to present the myths in the front half of the book. And then the the uh, explanation in the back half of the book. Yeah, we need one of those for the studio for sure. So how many how many pictures do you think it's going to be? So it's already so this this book is now I haven't actually you know started trumpeting it to the world because um you know I said I was going to go on your show first so now that I'm on your Aww. show and I'm announcing it so it's already uh, I have put it up it, you can go on Amazon and find it right now. And then I'm going to start, you know, publicizing it on my website and things like that. But uh, it's already, it's got well over uh, 90 uh, color pictures. And it's got all these star diagrams that I've done. Um, and, And it's really zeroed in on those two things, proving that this is going on and teaching you how to, how to see it yourself. But I do throw in some commentary as to why I believe these myths were doing that. But the real scope of the book is to show that this is happening and show, show that it's going on, but it's full. I mean, it's chock full of pictures. I tried to have just about a picture for every myth. Um, I wasn't able to find pictures for every single myth, but like a picture, a mythical picture from every myth. And then, for every single myth in the back, I've got a star diagram that I've done showing, okay, I think I think this character is being played by the constellation Orion or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it here now. Are you going to do a hardcover? Um, so I did that for the last book. I haven't done it for this one, but I could very easily do that. Um, so what, what's, how does that so, work? Can you do like, just, can you just like order hard copies a couple at a time or do you need, is there a set limit? Oh, well, you know, so you can go with all kinds of different printing options. There's all kinds of business details that you can get into with a book. But basically to do a different edition, a hardcover edition, you simply uh, have to have a different international book number. um, And then you publish it. I mean, you could do a a different typeface, but this is a big, this is already a big, heavy, hefty book in paperback. Um, 
So I could do it in hardback too, but I was going to throw that to you, Darren. What, um, why do you ask? <laughs> well, well, just because this is the That'd kind of cool. book I'd love to have on a hardcover. Right on. Like okay. a nice big hardcover, you know what I mean? Right on. Well, I think I probably will do that. And another reason is that libraries tend to like hardcover just because they last longer. Um, and also, you know, I, I, I really like to think that universities might want to have this in their libraries. High schools might want to have this in their libraries. And I think, you know, for the listeners out there, certainly if you think you'd like to have it in your library, please, you know, go right ahead and get it. But uh, another thing you can do is walk down to your local library and say to the person who's working there, the librarian or whoever, um, Hey, what's your process for requesting a book? And they'll probably hand you a slip of paper and you write down, Hey, I think you should have this. And maybe some, you know, who knows some 12 year old or 14 year old is going to interact with it and come up with some ideas that you and I could never think of. Who knows? So, Yeah, I definitely want it for my library. I like pick, I like a good picture book. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, in the so I did want to. I've kind of got all excited and started launching in, but I wanted to ask you guys, and um, you know, for the listeners that you know, whether you're driving a truck right now, listening to a podcast or whatever, but think about what's your interaction with myths, Ben. I mean, I I kind of like to hear. We're all exposed to myths at some point or another, whether we were assigned to read something from Greek myths or whatever. But I kind of wanted to get your take on mythology, Graham and Darren. I think movies are modern mythology, and I'm a movie fucking fanatic. So, (laughs) you know, it's always those same storylines. Same storylines in movies that are a lot of them are like, well, who did we introduce talking about how all these movies are like just recreations the of these ancient well, that's myths. The, well, it's also the monomyth you're thinking of too, which is you're the archetype. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm going to save the world, buddy. Oh, delusions of grandeur. Yeah. So that's Darren's little thing. I, I remember for me, myths, uh, I think about school, like you're talking about the Greek, the Greek myths. Like I really... Homer. resonate with the greek not necessarily that just the the greek gods and stuff like that. that's what i think about right on yeah well i mean i think both of those are great answers i do think that um, movies especially the ones that kind of reach a lot of them do follow the same patterns that you'll find in myths and some of them do kind of reach a mythical status like, like the matrix I do, yeah i was gonna say the matrix so you read it's my synchro. mind Good synchro. I was going to say the Matrix, and I would say that 9. I believe. Five. <laughs> yes, that's a new record for me. Um, <laughs> I was going to say what I think the Matrix does is it functions very much. Look, I think these myths are functioning on so many levels that um, that you can go down forever and never reach the bottom. But I think that the matrix is functioning in very much the same way as the myths are in that it's trying to teach you something that you can grasp um, better through that method than you could if someone sat down and tried to explain it to you rationally and logically. It, it goes through to a different part of the, of the way we're thinking and it's trying to tell you something about who you are. So and I've, I think I've used this before and, and those who have heard previous podcasts, forgive me if I repeat myself, but it would be kind of foolish to say, oh man, I'm this 
I'm a huge Matrix fan, and I I've got this idea. I'm going to go live. Um, I got to figure out where Neo is from because I got to go live in his city so that I can have an awakening like him. In fact, if I could find his apartment, then I'm going to rent that out because once I do that, then I'm really then I know Morpheus will find me. And it's like if you're talking to someone and they start saying that, you would say, um, "Yeah, I think the Matrix is great, and I think it is." trying to get you to wake up and, and be like Neo. But I think you're um, taking a wrong turn here with the idea that you need to find where Neo lived. Oh no, and I gotta, I gotta dress like Neo and I've gotta cut my hair like Neo because then I can become awakened. And you no, know, you're, you're, the, the people who made that movie were trying to send you a message, but not that message. And I think it's the same thing with the myths. They, um, are not actually intended to be taken on a literal level, but that doesn't mean they're not telling you something that's true. They're not trying to tell you something really deep. And the matrix has all these deep messages for us, but the message isn't, there was this guy named Neo and he lived a long time in the, you know, in the future or whatever. That's not the message. The message is something that's actually about you, your Neo. And you go, well, wait a minute, but I'm a, I'm a woman. How could I be Neo if, you know, if you're a girl? I said, well, that's not the, that's not the point. The, Neo is about the experience of every human being. That's what the myths are about. Mm. If, if somebody says, well, the Odyssey is about the, the, the experience of every single human being. And someone says, oh, yeah, but that's, that's kind of chauvinistic because its main character is a man, Odysseus. Well, actually... Everyone that he re- interacts with in the whole epic is a woman from beginning to end. And, and, but it's really, it's, it's about the experience of the human soul. And if you say, well, that, that metaphor doesn't really speak to me. Okay, no problem. Let me give you a different one. It's kind of like, um, you know, oh, wait, okay, that metaphor didn't work. Let me give you another one. They, the myths do that over and over. They dress up the same ideas in, in different costumes. And they say, listen, I'm going to teach you some profound things. And if you don't get it this way, I'll, I'll show you another movie and I'll show you another movie and, and I'll show you another movie. And eventually if you start to understand their language, then I think they can teach you what they're trying to teach you. And then if you, if you watch the matrix like 2000 years from now, then the, uh, <clears throat> the similarity would be, you you wonder if it's real or if it's just a myth, right? <clears throat> or if you should take it literal. And yeah, you have well, no idea what Matrix, happened like yeah. two thousand I mean, you know years from now. Somebody would be re- you know watching that going, is that real or is it? Watched on DVD, you think? <laughs> They'll find it in our Akashic record, <laughs> which is currently owned by Amazon. But. <laughs> well, so I you know the Matrix is made by as far as I know, human beings, the, the myths where those came from, I'm not really sure because it's pretty amazing that these are found around the world and that they have such profound wisdom in them. You know, maybe, maybe the matrix has the same level of profound wisdom, but I think the, the, the devotion and that these, you know, I think people who take them literally, I don't want to come off as bashing, people who take them literally, what I think is happening in that case is people are being attracted to the fact that these are amazing, incredible, um, you know, these are amazing, incredible, tr- 
treasures that were given to humanity and we're attracted to them. I think that taking them literally is an obstacle, but I used to take them literally. So I have a lot of sympathy for the urge to take them literally. And to be fair to the people who take them literally, when you open up the Bible or something else, it doesn't say, now this is a gigantic allegory. It says, Adam and, you know, and Eve were in the garden. So it doesn't say, this is a giant metaphor. It starts talking to you just like a movie does. A movie doesn't say, now here's a giant metaphor. It throws you right into it. But um, I believe that they're really attractive to all of us because they're designed to teach things that we need to know. And I believe that they're really, um, that they're really sacred, that they're actually talking about something that's uh, beyond just the ordinary realm of day-to-day existence. Um, and so there is a part of our lives that, you know, stretches beyond just ordinary material existence. And we kick around those kinds of questions on this show all the time. So, you know, the different guests that you have are saying, well, I had this synchronicity or I had this lucid dream or I had this dream and then this happened. Well, how do you explain that? And I think these myths are actually trying to, or are there to tell us about those things. Um, I just think that although I used to take them literally and I see how you could take them literally, the more you start to realize that they're all this gigantic celestial metaphor designed to point us towards something else, the more you realize that their message is not that taking them literally could be a, could be a obstacle to finding out their real message. At least that's what I believe at this Hmm. point. Hmm. Um, So anyway, Interesting. So where, where do you think they, they came from? <laughs> Not, I mean, an outside source, is it like a collective consciousness thing, like an Akashic Records thing Darren was talking about, or is it from like, like extra something like extra, extraterrestrial or, or non-human? Yeah, so, so that, you know, that I'm, I'm happy to talk about the different possibilities on that, but that is outside the scope of this particular book. I'm happy to talk about it. I certainly talk about it in my, in the undying stars. I kind of tried to, yeah, let's like, stick with this book for Like Darren for said, now. it's really thick. I tried to delve into that, but I would say that um, I'll use another metaphor real quick. You don't, get, you don't like, get into libraries by saying that came from aliens. No, I'm not, worried about, I'm not worried about that because I've already said plenty of things. <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm going to say I don't know. I could start reeling off all kinds of different possibilities. Okay, I, it could be that ordinary humans, just like you and me and everybody else around us gets in touch with the infinite realm through shamanic techniques, whatever, whatever those are in the different cultures of the world, because everywhere around the world, there are shamanic techniques. And in fact, you can find evidence that the Bible, I've written blog posts entitled, the Bible is essentially shamanic. The Norse myths are essentially shamanic. So there are ways that we have of getting in touch with non-ordinary reality right let's let's put it that way right it's it's reality but it's not our ordinary reality you don't spend all day long in that reality Mm -hmm. um, because it's non-ordinary reality it's not what we're used to but there is some evidence that we're designed to be able to access it by all kinds of different techniques it could be through ayahuasca but it could also be through yoga or it could be through 
meditation. It could be through breathing techniques. It's, it's pretty clear that there are methods. It could be through dreams that there are methods that humans can use no matter where on the planet they are, right? You may be in a, you may be from a culture that doesn't grow ayahuasca, but you can still access that wisdom. Maybe those people who are really good at that gave us these, these treasures. Maybe it's from something extraterrestrial. Maybe it's from some race that was on earth that was killed off by humans. Okay. I mean, there's people have floated theories that are trying to connect these dots and I commend people for trying to connect these dots because what I think we have is a bunch of dots that are not connected by the conventional theories. The conventional theories, it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys had this when you were a kid, but my dad gave me nine dots, right? Arranged in kind of like a a square, three rows of three and said, see if you can connect these nine dots with four lines that can't curve four straight lines. Have you ever played that game? I think so, actually. I, I don't remember the. Uh, I don't remember the result. <laughs> anyway, like like four, look at it. You know, like you a telephone four, keypad. Four lines. Yeah, four lines it's going like through a all Z nine. with a line through it, or a Z. Huh? I said Z. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Thanks for the for for us in down here in the in the south of uh, Canada. We say Z. Anyway. Um, so it's tricky. It's a trick. You actually have to go outside the box to do it. I'll give you that hint. But the, um, the conventional theories are leaving a few dots out. And there's plenty of people who have said, wait a minute, your, th- your theory doesn't connect all these dots. So there's different people trying to connect the dots. They're saying, hey, try this shape. Hey, how about this shape? Maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's, um, you know, uh, uh, Neanderthals that were killed off by humans, or maybe it was uh, uh, giants under the earth that have now retreated there because of the pesky humans, or maybe it was uh, alteration to the DNA to where we used to be smarter and now we're not so connected. It could be lots of different, um, could be lots of different, exp- maybe it was Atlantis, maybe it was some kind of worldwide civilization that was really advanced that broke apart, destroyed itself decided to be divided instead of united, decided to hate people instead of loving people, who knows? But there was, um, the dots are not well connected by the conventional theories. So there are theories that people have put out there to try and connect all those dots. And when I see a theory that connects all the dots really well, I say, hey, you know, that's really interesting. But right now I'm not, I'm, I'm not convinced enough to say, I think it was this. Yeah, but I am I am convinced enough to say, look, the evidence that all the myths of humanity are based on a common celestial metaphor is overwhelming. I can show you that evidence, and that evidence right there blows apart conventional timelines of human history because some of these myths are from, like I said, the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and some of these myths are from ancient Babylon. Mm -hmm. And so are you telling me that those guys were in contact? No, because ancient Babylon was, you know, some of their writings are 2000 BC and older. So that's 4,000 years ago. Some of the myths of the Pacific, people's grandparents were still being taught them kind of unpolluted and undiluted, you know, within our own lifetime or, or within a hundred years ago. So, um, 
I'm not sure there was, I'm not saying there was connection between the Babylonian myths and the Bible, but there's probably a common source or that's a, I believe that's a more, that's a more likely explanation or some common source and they've all diverged, but they're all still using celestial metaphors. And some of these metaphors, you know, an alt- uh, some, a critic might say, well, look, they're all looking up at the stars and coming up with myths. But some of the constellations, when you look at them, you say, okay, that is a winged horse, Pegasus. And I might say, what? That's a winged horse. How do you get a winged horse out of that? You got to really try. Mm-hmm. And yet around the world, it's being used in a myth in ancient Japan and in a myth in, you know, ancient Mesopotamia. How do you explain that? Because you don't just look up at that constellation and go, yep, winged horse. It's obvious. There's some constellations where you look up and say, okay, a serpent. I totally see that. That's easy enough to see. But there's others where you go, how do you get Virgo? How do you get a beautiful woman out of that series of stars? Can you explain it to me again? I don't quite get it. Huh. Somehow consciousness is involved. That fluoride. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, when you did this research for the first part of your book, did you? what was uh, some of the surprises that you came across? Like you must have come across some, some new things that you didn't expect. <laughs> Yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for insightful questions. Because I, I, uh, I, I got to say, when I talked to you guys the last time, a lot of the myths that I explain in the book, I didn't have all the pieces. And it's, and it's funny how sometimes you'll think about it for a while and think about it a while. And then the next morning you wake up and you'll go, oh, that's what it is. Or sometimes the answer will come to you Shower. in a way. Yeah, in the shower. Or you'll feel like, and that's happened to me. And, or sometimes you'll feel like you write it down and you, and, you, and you write it out and then you look back on it and go, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I, who wrote that? Or how did I get that? So um, I'll, I'll tell you what, some of the things that have really amazed me the most are some of the myths where you see it in common across different cultures. For instance, um, I'll tell you, I think I wrote the explanation of the judgment of Solomon after being on the show. You know, when I, when I talked to you guys the last time, I'm not sure I had that uh, myth matched up with the constellations in my mind. But if you, and, and like I said, this volume doesn't really go into the Bible. That's an Old Testament story, but it's a pretty familiar story about the two women. Actually, there are two, you know, the, the King James says two harlots come to King Solomon. Um, they've each had a baby, but one of them, uh, one, of, one of them, the baby died. She overlaid it during the night or something, you know, somehow the baby died. And so they're, they're arguing over whose baby it is. And one says, well, it's my baby. And the other one says, no, it was mine. They were both born about the same time, but um, Solomon has to decide, you know, and no spoilers, but probably everybody's heard this story. So Solomon thinks about it for a little while. And then he directs one of his palace, you know, retainers. He says, okay, I've got the answer. Take a sword, divide the baby, 
give one to her, one half to her and one half to her and problem solved. And then one of the women screams out, don't do that. Give it to her. And the other one says, no, 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 go ahead and cut it in half, which doesn't really make any sense if you want to take that story literally. Although you could say she was kind of so overcome with anger that, so, well, so, so of course the punchline or the conclusion of the story, let me not get ahead of myself. Solomon says, okay, don't cut it in half. Give the baby to the one who said, don't cut it in half. That's obviously her child. The one who said, go right ahead and cut it in half. That's obviously not her child. Okay. You could say, well, the woman who said that said, go ahead and cut it in half. Maybe she was so overcome with grief that her baby had died. She went, she didn't want anyone else to have a living baby either. But really, she came to the court to try and get the baby. Solomon just said, give it to her. Why didn't she just keep her mouth shut, take the baby and go home if it was a literal story? Okay, it's a, it's a metaphorical story. It teaches us all kinds of things about the two different paths of the two mothers. One mother is basically saying, you know, life. One mother is basically saying death. Solomon's being presented with a choice, but we're all being presented with a choice. Which kind of mother do you want to be in your life? All these deep, there's all kinds of deep, deep things in that story. You could go on and on just with that one story, but you can also actually look at the art all the way down through the centuries and start to see um, which constellations this refers to, which that's a whole other interesting topic is how did the art in the Middle Ages um, they always paint the baby in a, in a very interesting way. He's being held by this giant swordsman. The swordsman got one sword up over his head like a giant scimitar, and he's holding the baby by his ankle. In his other hand, he's about to, he's got the sword up in the air, and he's looking at Solomon saying, you want me to, want me to really do this? And the baby is always arching backwards really, really hard. Any of you who have had babies? know that they arch sometimes when they're really mad at you or you're trying to, you know, change their diaper and they start arching. Um, so this baby is always depicted as arching really, really uh, vigorously in the hand of this swordsman. And if you go out and look into the night sky, there's a beautiful little arch of stars called the Northern Crown. You guys can easily see it up where you are, although not so easily this time of year. It's actually starting to recede into the West um, by the time the sun goes down this time of year. But that little arch of stars is, is the exact same arch of the baby. And um, right behind that arch, and you can see this, I've written a big blog post about the, the judgment of Solomon. Right behind that arch of stars is a constellation called Hercules. And, and, and he looks like a mighty swordsman and he's raising a big club or a sword over his head. And he's got a big square head that's called the keystone. Um, or at least that's what H.A. Ray, remind me to get back to H.A. Ray calls it. So Hercules can be envisioned as reaching out to grab Corona Borealis, the Northern crown. Hopefully I'm not losing all the listeners right now. Um, no, no. <clears throat> But uh, th that is the baby who's arching and Hercules is holding up his sword and then not far away is Virgo. That's the, that's the woman in the story, actually, just both the women in the story. And then um, Solomon is usually depicted with his hand out in a certain gesture. 
That's the constellation of Boötes, who's kind of sitting on a throne. At least this is my analysis, is what I argue. And I'll tell you, the reason I am convinced that this analysis is correct is as I go around the world, I can find and point out to you other myths where a baby is being held by Hercules. And this time it's not being cut in half. Maybe it's being hung up in the rafters Uh to dry. Maybe it's being, but it's the same pattern over and over around the world, like in the Hawaiian islands or in the Pacific islands. And that's the same pattern that we find in the old Testament. And that, when I start to see that, that just kind of uh, makes the hair on, you know, my arms stand up or gives, gives me chills because it's very clear that they put the clues in there for you to find them. So how do you relate that to the start? Like, how did you f- figure out which, star- which that was then? So, yeah. So let me just mention H.A. Ray in answer to that question. So growing up, um, you know, my dad uh, always took me out to look at the stars and he got me the books um, by H.A. Ray. One's called The Stars, A New Way to See Them. And then H.A. Ray also had a kind of a children's version of that, which is the one I started off on. And H.A. Ray in case you're like scratching your head going, I know that name. Who is H.A. Ray? Is the creator of Curious George. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the, the beloved children's author, and he, he, I think his first name was Hans, and his wife Margaret were actually the team that made the Curious George stories. That They actually illustrated them themselves. He was also um, into the stars and he wrote a great book called the stars, a new way to see them. And I've got to say that I think that book is essential if you want to start to decipher the myths. So all the diagrams that I use in the book, I use the method that he proposed in 1952 and I actually outlined them all at the beginning to say, okay, we're going to, we're about to embark on this journey, but here's the outlines that you're going to need along the way. So I'd show them all to you and kind of describe how to find them in the sky. So now to answer your question, the characteristics of the constellations, most of the time, the way they're laid out, when you see them even on a web page or even on a Wikipedia entry or whatever, sometimes the way that the lines are connected are terrible for trying to find that constellation. They don't look like the Hercules diagram doesn't look like Hercules. It looks like Hercules the way H.A. Ray draws it. The Aquarius diagram doesn't look like a man with a picture, the way it's usually depicted, it looks like it with H.A. Ray. And it's almost like, you know, not to get conspiratorial here, but it's almost like someone's trying to not let you know the language, the key to the language (laughs) with the terrible diagrams that they put up there. And then it's almost like H.A. Ray knew the (laughs) the real diagrams and he published them in 1952. You've got to use his. So then now to complete the question, how do you figure it out? Once you start to see these characteristics over and over, like once you know that this little arch of stars, the, the, the northern crown, can sometimes be a baby that's arching, then if you see a story with a baby that's being hung up in the rafters because it's a northern crown, it's really close to the North Pole, you can see it all the way up there in Canada. There's some constellations you know, at your northern latitude that you can't really see that well. But you can see the northern crown because it's in the rafters those kinds of clues, when they put them into the myth, this was hung up on the roof, or he put the, the fire, the, you know, once 
the stag got the fire, he put it up on the roof of his teepee or the roof of his hut. That's a clue. And you say, okay, well, I'm looking for something that might be kind of towards the roof, the top of the sky. So as you start to see the characteristics over and over, then when it appears in a myth, it's almost like when you're learning a language, you start to recognize some of the vocabulary more and more. And then pretty soon you're like, wait, I think I can actually have a kind of a conversation. And the same thing, the Northern crown will sometimes be a necklace. It's a beautiful constellation. It's actually very bright and very distinctive. Sometimes it'll be a necklace. Sometimes it'll be an amulet. Sometimes it'll be a baby. So these things will play a variety of different roles, but usually after a while you start to get familiar with what they're, what roles this one plays, what roles that one plays. Like Hercules almost always plays a mighty warrior, usually swinging a club, a sword, a scimitar, uh, uh, a thunderbolt, okay? Mm. Not to give too much away here, but that constellation um, always plays, almost always plays a really powerful warrior. So you found other myths with with a baby involved then that, that could be pointing yeah. to that same... Yeah, same one absolutely huh. uh, yeah have you ever heard of achilles yeah yep brad yeah. pitt <laughs> that's right achilles is brad pitt so what's what's and we all have a little piece of achilles right what's achilles's characteristic heel sides look like brad pitt heel and he's yeah, fast he's got a heel right and we've all got an achilles heel why is that He's super fast. What? Wasn't super that because he was fast? No, because he got shot in the heel. That's right. Yeah. yeah, he's invulnerable except in one spot. Why? I don't know. No. <laughs> his mother was baptizing him, or his mother was told, listen, if you hang your baby into the river sticks or in some versions into this magic fire, um, if you hang your baby into that, he'll be invulnerable wherever that, you know, river, uh, coats his body. So she dunks him in the water or she dunks him in the fire. You know, I guess she had to kind of overcome her fear to do that. Once again, this is not literal. So don't anyone try this at home. Don't say that. Oh yeah. Dave told me to dip the baby in the fire. No, this is all <laughs> metaphors of stuff that's happening in the stars, but where she held the baby by the heel the river sticks didn't touch that part of his skin. So he was vulnerable only at the one point where his mother held him by the heel. And that's where he was shot. Mm. That's the only place he could be killed. Well, that's the same. It's called, I call it the incomplete baptism. It's around the world. The incomplete baptism of Achilles. You can see it in ancient Egypt. You can see it in Polynesia. You can see it in some other myths that I can't remember off the top of my head. It is, um, it's that same constellation, I would argue. And, uh, oh yeah, it's in, uh, the Maya myths, the, the, what's remaining after much of their wonderful, uh, ancient wisdom was deliberately destroyed, uh, tragically destroyed. Right. But some of it has made its way to us in that incomplete baptism story. Uh, there's traces of it there. So how did it get there? How did it get to the Maya and Achilles, and across the ocean in the Pacific. How did it get in all these different places? Well, it's up there in the stars, but they're all using this same fairly distinctive metaphor. It's like, huh, that's an interesting 
that's an interesting myth. You know, it's kind of cool, but I'm not sure I would expect it to pop up in all these different places of the world randomly in isolation. I think there's something else going on there. But like I said, in this book, I'm just trying to show that this is really happening and then teach you how to find it. Because I really believe these myths were given to humanity. I don't know if you hear my dog in the background. My dog is stretching and growling. Um, sorry if I'm distracting anybody by pointing that out. It's okay. So I'm trying to make this really deep point. I think these myths were given to humanity as this really precious treasure. And I think they were given all around the world to all peoples. And I don't, you know, I don't believe they should be, um, I, I think that it's like a, a precious treasure that shouldn't be uh, denigrated, put down or ignored. And I also think it's wrong to say, Oh yeah, that's only about the literal. You can only take it literally. And if you, if you take it any way other than literally, we have to try and suppress that. You know, I've used the, uh, I think I probably used it the last time I was on here. I've used the Mr. Miyagi metaphor a million times but it's a really powerful metaphor. Mr. Miyagi's telling Daniel-san, wax on, wax off, paint the fence, wax the floor. Why? Not to teach him how to wax cars, but to teach him something else, something really powerful that Daniel-san really needs. He needs karate, not just to defend himself, but he needs karate because he's in this, he's, he's really in this vulnerable place. He's kind of from, you know, single parent home. He feels you know, incomplete. He's got like, he's, he's moved. He's not happy about the move. He's in California. He wishes he was back in New Jersey. He doesn't have any friends and he's trying to grow up. And Mr. Miyagi steps in and gives him, says, I know what you need, but it's not waxing cars and it's not painting the fence, but that's how I'm going to teach it to you. And so the myths, if someone were to come along and say, Mr. Miyagi's lying to you. It's not really about karate. It's only about waxing cars, Daniel-san. I want you to wax cars for your whole life. I'm never going to tell you the secret that what you're doing is actually karate. And I want you to think that your whole job in this world is to wax cars. Not that there's anything wrong with waxing cars <laughs> or even having a business that waxes cars. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying Mr. Miyagi was teaching waxing cars for a deeper, higher purpose and so if you only say it's only about waxing cars, you're going to miss the message. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. So I think it's wrong to, to, to deliberately obscure the message if it's something that could really help people. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. So was there any other ones that stood out as far as going, going across many? Like, was there any constellations or star clusters that stood out as far as... Like, being the most big, popular, like or Orion seems to me like as far as you know your last book and and other things you hear about Egypt and all that, it seems to be a popular one. Yeah, great. And and then Darren, I heard was 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 also asking, you know, what's what's some other big ones too? So Orion's a big one. We'll talk about that for a second. Um, and Virgo is really big. So first of all, Virgo is one of the only female constellations, but she's also in the zodiac. She's also at a very important point in the Zodiac. So she plays some really important roles in a lot of myths. So you really have to know about Virgo um, and Orion. Um, and Orion was the first one. So like I said, when I talked to you the last time, I feel like I really know, 
I'm becoming a lot more fluent in the system, even than when the last time I talked to you, even though it was even just a little under a year ago. But um, Orion was one of the first ones that really started to convince me about this. So I'll just say that I was, you know, I was, I was open to seeing these kinds of patterns when somebody was explaining them from like ancient Egypt or the Greek myths, namely in Hamlet's Mill, a really important book. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, I know guests have mentioned it before. I've heard yeah. you guys mention it. It was published in 1969. I loved that book. I've read it, you know, now probably like eight times trying to figure it all out. Um, they're not super comprehensive and explanatory. They kind of drop little hints and then move on. But I loved seeing how they would relate different myths to the stars, but I was a little hesitant when I first encountered Hamlet's Mill. I was a little hesitant to apply it to the Bible because I thought, hey, taking the Bible literally actually answers, connects a lot of dots for me. Okay. But once one of the, they have a whole chapter in there on Samson. And I think I spent some time on Samson with you guys the last time, but Samson reaches up and grasps the jawbone. Remember, I think I, even, I think I even asked you guys, do you remember what was the jawbone of a what to kill all these of his enemies? Uh, it was a <laughs> <Come> ox. <laughs> yeah. This is like a quiz to see if you, if you stayed up with it. No, he grasped the jawbone of an ass, okay, and the jawbone of a donkey or a wild donkey, right? It's kind and, of the same um, thing. Yeah. Well, actually, it is the constellation Taurus. So you're right, Darren. I was just giving you a hard time. So you can actually go out and see the jawbone rising in kind of the prime time viewing hours right now. This time of year, the constellation Taurus and particularly the V-shaped Hyades. It's a star cluster that's in a V-shape. It's part of the constellation Taurus. It's very bright. It's very distinctive. And it's basically Orion has to reach out his hand if he were to be envisioned as grabbing it as a weapon. Orion uses this V-shaped weapon right? A jawbone is V-shaped. If you trace kind of underneath your jaw, you you can feel that it's a V to kill all of his enemies, to actually to kill a thousand of them, which doesn't really make that much sense. You know, it's not, maybe in a pinch, you might use it for one or two opponents, but then as soon as you got a chance, you probably drop it and use something else. You probably wouldn't use it. It would probably wear out before you used it on a thousand different people, right? But it's a metaphor. Well, that's also found around the world. There's um, in there's a Maori myth where um, the hero takes the jawbone of his grandmother and uses it as a weapon. There's a myth from South America where the hero uses the jawbone of a tapir. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that word right, but it's kind of like a large animal with kind of a snout, a tapir. You can look it up on the internet, but he uses the jawbone of a tapir. So it's found around the world again. But that once I started to see that in the Samson myth, and then there's the Samson, there's the part of the Samson myth where he slays a lion, then he goes down to see his girlfriend, then he comes back later, encounters the same lion, but now there's a hive of bees. So that was all those, once I started to see how those relate to the constellations, then I had to wrestle with, wait a minute, if, if this, how did that get into the Bible, if the Bible is literally 
you know, about a, someone named Samson who did all these feats. Um, maybe it's just a coincidence that he matches up with the stars, but then you start to see it in other places in the Bible. Like I just told you about the judgment of Solomon. That's not the next one I saw. I didn't find that connection until much later, but then I started to see it in the book of revelation. And I kind of talked about this in the last book, but once you start seeing it over and over and you really become, um, fluent in the symbols that they use, actually just about every story in the Bible can be shown to connect to the stars. So at that point I had to, you know, make some real changes to what I thought that these ancient texts were really all about. Hmm. Anyway. So yeah, Orion's a big one and, and Orion, go ahead if you want to uh, respond to that. I'll I'll go a little more about what I think Orion's about too. I was just, Gonna comment. I was just searching the H.A. Ray compared to some of the other ones, and it it is. You're right. If you look at the normal, some of the normal connections, it does seem pretty lame. And if right, you look the at some of the normal outlines that yeah. they draw, like it's, it's almost like stopping you from seeing it. That's what I was gonna say. It's like, why do they use that? And H.A. Ray actually says that in his book. He says, you know, we really have. It's hard to become fluent in the constellations, which. You know, I would I would advise everybody to uh, take that up as a as an additional hobby because it's really wonderful. I mean, they're out there. If there's any way for you to at all go out and see them in person, it's wonderful to do that. Um, but it's going to be a frustrating experience unless you use H. A. Ray because he even in 1952 when he wrote the stars, a new way to see them, complains that well, there's one way of kind of drawing these really flowery outlines that when you look up in the sky. You don't see any of that. It's like, you know, they draw the whole mythical figure and he's wearing a tunic and he's got, you know, eyelashes and that's not very helpful. Or they draw these kind of modernistic geometric outlines that don't look like anything and you can't really remember it when you go out in the night on your own. So he said, look, I want to try and draw something that's simple that you could actually connect the dots with, not flowery or unrealistic but it still reflects what you're trying to find, whether that's the Southern fish or the constellation Hercules or the constellation Virgo or a crow or whatever. Is the Southern fish Pisces? No. Um, Son of a bitch. That's all right. It's okay. <laughs> it's near Pisces. Um, you know, it's, uh, this is like a, this is like a, uh, you know, a hobby that you can, go out and really um, just kind of take it your own speed and find find new ones. So don't be frustrated if you're not. Pisces is actually a really hard one to see unless you're in a pretty dark, you know, maybe where you guys are, you can get away from city lights a little bit. But Pisces is a pretty faint one. The southern fish is actually called Pisces australis, and it's beneath. Aquarius is actually pouring his jug, the two streams of water, which actually are, fairly um, beautiful and easy to see the two little streams are pouring onto the fish. So the the fish has a really bright star, Fomalhaut. I may not be saying that exactly right. I like, (laughs) I read a lot about them. I don't always um, talk to people who know the right way to pronounce them, but Fomalhaut, Fomalhaut is the bright star in Pisces Australis and it's pretty distinctive but it's pretty far south. So it might be actually too far south 
for you guys to see. Like it doesn't get up very high above the horizon where I am. And I'm at 35 degrees north latitude. Hmm. Um, you guys are way farther north. I would guess that it's below the horizon virtually all the time, if not all the time where you are. So that's a bummer. But um, but we could come to your place and check it out. Exactly. Come on down. I'll pull out the laser pointer and I'll show you the southern fish. And you'll go, oh, that's the southern fish. And actually, you can see Pisces right now, um, the great square of Pegasus, very distinctive, not hard to spot. And it's almost... So right above it, it right above almost, it, right? It's almost straight up right now during kind of the, what I call the prime time hours hmm. uh, between sunset and midnight. That's like the easiest way for people who work, you know, a fairly normal schedule. That's like the best time to view stars. But if you're able to get up at like 5 a.m., you can go out and see Orion in all his glory right now at 5 a.m. Um, oh, I think and, I saw it the other night. It's to the, if I, if I, would it be uh, facing, or not the other night, the other morning on my way to work, Orion? facing uh, south, kind of southwestish For Orion? Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, yeah, Orion so Orion, right now. yeah, in the, in the, so he, he's rising. He, so here's a, so instead of me trying to, um, let me give a tip to everybody. There's an open source planetarium app that everyone can put on their laptop or, you know, um, desktop. I'm not sure how well it works on a mobile site, but it's called Stellarium. Oh yeah. Stellarium. Yeah. And it is a really good app. There's another one. The Neve planetarium is a little simpler and that's kind of like an online web base. You don't have to download anything. So there's the Neve N E A V E. It doesn't have as much, doesn't really look like the night sky, but it still will get you there for the constellations and you can change the time and say, what will it look like at 5 a.m.? Um, but the Stellarium app is really robust. Have you heard you of Skyview at all? Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, there's all kinds of ones. I like Stellarium because it's open source. Um, but, yeah, some uh, of our other guests have, have recommended the Stellarium as well. Yeah, so you can actually dial in different latitudes and you can put it for your latitude, and then you can say, and you can dial up you the time. You can go like 10,000 years ago, right? You could, right, but that won't help you tonight. But yeah, <laughs> you could do that. But if you want to find where, where it'll actually tick along with the regular clock. So like if you started up at 9 p.m., and then you go have dinner, and you come back, the stars will have moved because they're staying up with what's going on outside. So it's a pretty cool uh, app, and then you can find these constellations and you can um you can get the outlines they use kind of the conventional outlines but i actually found a place in there it looks like someone has uploaded the ha ray outlines into stellarium because it's open source which is a cool thing about open source it means people who know how to code can go in there and do that and someone apparently did so now you can apparently get the ha ray i haven't messed with it but i, I saw a place that it looked like someone had done that but anyway not to get too distracted. Stellarium will help you find where Orion is at 5 a.m. from your latitude. But yeah, he's up in the morning. I just did a blog post not too long ago about the um, Jupiter, Venus, and Mars and how you can see them. And um, not only can you see Jupiter, Venus, and Mars in the morning if you're able to get up at 5 a.m. and go outside, but you can see some of the really brilliant constellations around Orion, uh, the star Sirius, the twins of Gemini, um, Taurus, all, uh, they're all out there in the morning. 
You can see that you could see the Jupiter, Mars, and Venus conjunction here really well. Yeah, because yeah. like it, we're right when far, I get up, I look, I step on my yeah. door, and it's just bang, bang right there. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So I believe that those, though, it's like it's the most majestic canvas, you know, in the world. It's the most majestic big screen movie screen in the world. So whoever gave these myths to us, whether it was the ancient civilizations or whoever it was, they used that as the the most awe-inspiring metaphors and teaching aids to talk to us about the most profound subjects. So, you know, when you ask about, you know, why is Orion important? I believe Orion's important and he's, he's related to the god Osiris in ancient Egypt, the god who was killed. Osiris was killed, and then he went down to the underworld. And then Horus is his son. And, you know, he, 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 he's kind of, Osiris is the underworld son, and Horus is the triumphant son when he arches above the horizons. He's called Horus of the two horizons. That whole story is telling us really profound things about who we are and they wanted to teach us these profound things and they said what can i what can i use what can i compare it to i want to teach you about your experience as a human soul coming down in this world what can i compare it to well i could compare it to almost anything if i'm good at analogies but i want to use something really profound awe-inspiring and available to everyone and we're going to use the stars and it's a really perfect metaphor because the stars rise up out of the earth and go up into heaven and then they arc back down into the earth and then they cycle back around and it's teaching us things about coming down into a human body but there's also a spiritual component to it but for a while when we're in this human body it's really easy to forget about our connection to a spiritual realm and it's easy to get just kind of entangled up in the material so it's trying to tell us things about our dual physical spiritual condition and they use these amazing metaphors to do that and orion's a big one and orion is in different uh different cultural myths as well oh yeah i i think orion um is the constellation with the highest percentage of bright stars. It's the most, um, it's really the most, one of the most distinctive constellations in the sky. Um, and it's huge. It's huge. It's a giant. So I think a lot of these giants um, in myth may actually be the giant constellations of Orion, Hercules, Aquarius. These guys, these guys played, can be shown to play the role of giants in different myths. Hmm. For instance, the, the god Ares or Mars gets stuffed into a uh, bronze cauldron by a couple of giants named Otis and Ephialtes in ancient Greek myth. They stuff them into a bronze cauldron or a bronze jug um, when they're deciding to take over Olympus, these two giants, they, they, they get more and more um, aware of their own mighty strength. And they're like, hey, we can take on these puny Olympian gods. And they start waging war on Olympus. And Mars or Ares goes out and says, I'll take care of those giants. And he gets stuffed into uh, a cauldron. And um, 
anyway, eventually I'll t- I can tell you how the giants meet there. And I talked about them in a blog post, but Mars or Aries getting stuffed into a cauldron. There's a constellation that has a pitcher of water. And I think I may have even said this in Alaska, America, that's Aquarius. That's in Mars and Aquarius is in the Zodiac and Mars goes through Aquarius. That's very likely part of the solution to that myth. So Aquarius plays a giant. Orion plays a giant sometimes. Um, Hercules plays a giant in, in myths. So yes, Orion is found around the world. Um, He's Osiris. He's um, in uh, in ancient India. I believe he's Arjun, which is spelled Arjuna, A R J U N A. Usually, I hear it pronounced. The A is silent. Sorry, my dog. Oh, your dog wants to be on the show. That's my animal side coming out. Um, <laughs> anyway. Grab sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but actually. If I were to try and make a silly segue off of that, Orion gets cast down to the underworld. See, he 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 comes up. Sorry about that. Um, he comes up from the horizon in a horizontal position. He he traverses across the sky. He gets to a vertical position, then he sinks back down into the west again in a horizontal position. And you can see this in the Osiris symbology he's laid out on a funeral bed horizontally and then he's also raised hold on let this dog outside hey so while he's while he's gone where he was showing us james was showing us his skyview app it's crazy i have skyview on my phone oh dear i think that's oh no i think mine's called (laughs) uh Mine might not be Skyview. Like, I haven't downloaded any of them, but... No, uh, mine's Night great. Sky. I love how it just shows the stars, and then it, and then it becomes, um, like, uh, uh, animated kind of, like, cartoonish to show, like, what it is. Oh. Look at that. So watch. Yeah, really cool. It says that the igloo is interfering with my compass. <laughs> yeah, mine we, does it, too. We are in a somewhat of a Faraday cage here. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Shows something. Huh. We're just checking out our Skyview apps here. Yeah, no, I'm not an expert on every every possible. Yeah, there's app. some really fucking Pegasus. Yeah. So, so David, um, I don't want to uh, get away from your book too long, but I also don't want to run out of time because you mentioned something yeah, yeah. about uh, you know music and the or the you know the universe being musical, and I'm I'm interested because we've got somebody coming on to talk about uh, sympathetic. Um, resonance and stuff, and I uh, wanted to and, know uh, what you were talking, what you were uh, going to mention. What I was there. Referring to there, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, what, actually, what I was kind of alluding to with the Orion story is, you know, what is all this really about? I think it really has messages that all of us were down here trying to figure out what we're here for or what, what are these strange synchronicities or what is this strange? And, and I believe that these ancient myths actually do have those answers. And I I think the best way is to go into them yourself and, and find out the answers. And and if you have kind of the language to talk to them, 
that will help you. But look, they're using celestial cycles. They're using celestial distances. They're using, um, you know, the, for instance, the orbit of Jupiter is 12 years, and you'll find 12 years in some of the myths. Um, huh. the, the, the orbit of Mercury is 88 days, and you'll find eight um, on the, like or, uh, uh, Odin's horse has eight legs, and I believe he's related to Mercury. Um, Mars gets stuffed into that cauldron for um, 13 months, and it just so happens that the actual cycle of the planet Mars, 13 months, it um, relates to the, the strengthening and the weakening of the of Mars based on its distance and its cycle. So they incorporate that into the myths. Well, time obviously is very important to music. So, and music is all about frequencies, which a frequency is nothing more than the measurement of how many, you know, waves you have in a second. So that the music of the spheres is something that, you know, we hear about that the ancients were very um, serious about the the distances between the planets everything to do with time actually has to do with the turning of our planet or our cycles going around the the sun um so getting in touch with the uh, or or ordering our lives or incorporating these patterns into our lives are actually something that we do just by celebrating our birthday because we're celebrating the time, you know, hey, here we are on the same point where the earth was when I was born on its trip around the sun. But also all these different festivals throughout the year, Halloween um, or Samhain or all the different, we're ordering our lives, we're putting our lives in into kind of like the same rhythm, which is a musical term, with the celestial um you know, patterns that are going on. There's different, Tai Chi has a, a long form that has 108 um, motions to it that relates to one of the very longest of celestial cycles, which is the precession of the equinoxes. 108 is an equinoctial uh, processional number. Um, so putting ourselves kind of, it's, it's, connecting with the universe, connecting with the earth, connecting, saying, hey, we're all connected. We're connected to nature. We shouldn't be antagonistic to it. We shouldn't be destroying it. That's one level. But also, I believe that music connects us with the spiritual. So there's, you know, we don't have time to like get dive into deep, all yeah. the, yeah, but not, to, not, I don't have time to get too deep, but there is a, uh, like I said, we're designed to access other forms of thinking there's there's the kind of thinking that you need to do to do calculus problems and there's the kind of thinking that you need to do to write a song and sometimes uh, you know musicians you, we've all heard them describe it as well it came to me from here or, i have to kind of get into this mood to get this song or i have to actually use uh, you know i get into you know I, I smoke a few joints before i write a great song why we're putting a certain part of our mind to sleep a part of our mind that's really useful for a lot of tasks to get in touch with our higher self or to get in touch with a higher place. And music, I believe, 
comes to us from that higher place says, look, what's the term muse? What was a muse? A muse, the nine muses, they were goddesses. But all the epics, Homer's epics, the Odyssey, the Iliad, they start with the words, sing in me, muse, or words to that effect. Sing in me, like, hey, goddess, I want you to sing, but I want you to sing in me. So somehow that divine force, we're trying to tap into it or connect with it, or Homer or whoever wrote those myths was tapping into it. And I believe that music, even just listening to music can help put to sleep the part of the brain that might be helpful for doing a math problem or for tasks of certain tasks of daily life, but is not that helpful and is in fact interfering with other functions. Like you can be driving down the road and the music can kind of put that part of your brain to sleep, not, not put you to sleep, but put that in all kinds of amazing new insights can come to you. You're like on a long road trip and you're listening to whatever music and the chord progressions, I believe they kind of put, uh, put us into a state or can help put us into that state where different kinds of insights can come to us. Hmm. At least that's happened to me. Yeah. I think so, drumming's a big one, right? They've been doing that for fucking drum. ever. Absolutely. In fact, drums were outlawed in some parts of the world because shamanic drumming can put you in touch with you know your power or with things that were threatening to the people that wanted to hey we can't have those people having drums or mushrooms it's dangerous you know or mushrooms so i actually think there's i you know i'm not joking when i say or mushrooms i think that all those different things are techniques or tools and i think they're all um trying to take you to the same place maybe Maybe some of them take you farther into that place than others, but I do believe that um, music is a very important part of this whole question, this whole equation. And actually, there's a lot of myths or stories where um, the people will say, well, the tradition is that this pyramid was put up overnight by a dwarf using music. And you go, what? Yeah. (coughs) Well, that's interesting because... In ancient Egypt, there was this god who was um, associated with music, and he was a kind of a short god named Bess. And actually, the um, you know I could go I could go pretty far afield with this, but anyway, there's places where um, and actually I think he's related to a constellation. It's not anything to do with making fun of you know different conditions or what you know dwarfism or anything like that. It's talking about different constellations. I believe that um, it's a metaphor for the heavenly realms are a metaphor for the spiritual aspect that we have inside of us. All these gods and goddesses, they appear in an instant because actually they're already there. They're already, you're already in touch with them, but you have to figure out how to get in touch with them. So music, I think is a way of doing that. They just they just came out with a, like a levitation device um, using sound, so you know it's pretty it's pretty powerful. I feel it. Oh, uh, yeah. Music has a physical effect on me for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's really powerful. And all the the um, Cladney plates, which is where they put you know sand on a on a plate and vibrate it at certain frequencies. Like the nowadays, they can do it. With, yeah. Um, kinematics and, and cladney plates they used to do it actually with a, a violin bow 
you know, against the edge of the plate. And then the sand would make different um, patterns based on the, you know, if you play the note of this or the frequency of that. So, so we're, I think we're actually um, all the, I, and that's, what's amazing is I'm, I'm not sure which guest you're referring to, but there's some people who have made a study of certain ancient monuments, like some of the ancient um, monuments on the Island of Malta have archaeoacoustic properties where they resonate with certain frequencies and they make you, uh, and, and the ancients were doing something with them and we're not positive what, but it had something to do with the get it's, it's having to get in touch with the look, we're, we're all physical beings, but why is it funny to laugh about our, you know, why is it funny to make human body jokes? Why does my dog, you know, a dog doesn't get embarrassed about any of his bodily functions, right? Why do we? Because we, we're a spiritual being that's been, that's come down into a physical body and it's kind of funny. But we can, <laughs> and we make jokes about it. But, we're, but we also have to like realize where we came from and these myths are pointing you towards that. Hmm. Yeah, it's an article right here. It says it may seem out of st- like it's out of Star Trek, but it's real. Scientists have created a sonic tractor beam that can pull, push, and pirouette objects that levitate in thin air. So it, it relies on a precisely timed sequence of sound waves that create a region of low pressure that traps tiny objects that can then be manipulated by solely by sound waves. Yeah. And I think, I don't think it's a military secret that (laughs) there's people trying to use that as a weapon too. And I think they've got weapons that (laughs) they use sound, which is like, hey, can't you use it for good things? (laughs) Yeah. Really? So, I don't know. I heard that. It sympathetically vibrates with your lower intestine and just makes you shit yourself. Yeah, there's like a certain frequency (laughs) that'll make you shit your pants. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to go into the military weapons. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's go back to positive things. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, I'm not, I I feel like there's so much we could talk about. I hope. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm willing to keep keep going. I don't want to. Um, well, I want to. I want to. I mean, we can't go for too much longer here. It's pretty late at the igloo. But um, I want to make sure you just got you got what you wanted to about your about your book you know, off your chest. Cause you know, we were talking about Orion and all those other things. So yeah, no, well, actually I think, uh, actually the, uh, the blog itself. So if people go to davidmatheson.com, you can find all kind of the, I've tried to categorize some of the subjects that I talk about on this blog ranges into all different areas, but yeah. the top left corner is star myths. So mm-hmm. if you click on that, you can see some analyses of different star myths that I've done in the past. And that's kind of what you're going to find in this book. And I'll say that if you go down to kind of the bottom, if you, if you go on to davidmatheson.com and then you click on star myths, mm-hmm. you should get a page that's full of all different yeah. kind of images. Yeah. yeah pictures and, and titles. Down, yeah. Yeah, pictures, and it's like, oh, I want to do Adam and Eve, uh, Star Myth. I want to learn about that one, or I want to learn about, oh, he talked about the uh, Judgment of Solomon. Here's a picture of it. Let me go to that one. But down towards the bottom, there's a, um, there's a, uh, the 1001 Nights, sometimes known as the Arabian Nights. Yeah. That was kind of a blog post where I did kind of this method of 
the first blog post was, here's the story. Now, can you figure it out? And then the second blog post was, hey, spoiler alert. The last blog post gave you the story. This is going to be my solution to it. So if you haven't read, go back to the first one. Actually, that link will take you to the second one. So that's probably not the best one to click on, but it'll have a spoiler alert and it'll say, click here to go back to the first one. Right. Well, that's not confusing the way I just said it. So yeah. that, if you go to the Arabian Nights, the Thousand One Nights, that's kind of the way this book is built. The first part is telling you the myth. The second part is, here's my interpretation of it. I'm not saying that my interpretation is the last word. I'm saying, I find this evidence. It's kind of like um, a piece of literature. If somebody says, hey, I think this is about this. One of the complaints that English students everywhere have is, well, you could say it's about anything. Well, not really. If I can find, if I tell you that this story by Melville is about the social compact or the social contract. And then I start showing you things in the story. Hey, did, did Bartleby seem to have some issues with his employer? You know, let me show you the evidence that this is about that. If I can show you five or six things, then I can make my case. Well, in each of these myths, I try and show you the evidence that points me towards that conclusion that I think is pretty convincing, but it's really, look, we, we don't have the authors of these myths around to tell us. So um, I could be wrong, but I give you the evidence as to why I interpret it that way. And I think the constellational um, features are pretty distinctive. Like Virgo has an outstretched arm. So a lot of times you'll see in the myth, and she reached out her arm to take the fruit. Then she reached out her arm to give it to her husband in the Adam and Eve story. And they'll put these story, they'll put these clues in there, wherever they are, wherever these myths came from. And if you can really see the connection to the constellation, which I try and show, then I think it, you know, the case becomes better and better. But it's like a mystery story. It's like Sherlock Holmes looking for clues, or I always say it's like Scooby-Doo in the gang looking for clues <laughs> those metal if it wasn't for those metal kids, <laughs> sure. it kids. and you got a youtube kids. channel with some pretty cool stuff on there too right yeah i've made some videos um and made one about the adam and eve and i've made uh you know i think <laughs> i have to admit my videos are probably of mixed quality hopefully they're getting better over time um you know i'm not a professional videographer or filmmaker i think this would make a fantastic um documentary uh, huh? documentary yeah. series or explanation for uh, it's something that can be really shown visually pretty well um but um there's some videos there for you in fact on my so any of the any of the things that you find on davidmatheson.com will link you back to the blog and at the blog there's a there's a link for video archive, which will get you to a bunch of my old videos. It's even got a uh, interview archive if you want to go back to some of my older interviews. Um, you know, my 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 understanding of this is continuing to evolve. So older older things that I've said, maybe I've you know learned more since then. Who knows? But um, you know, I think it's a really exciting. I compare it to kind of a ruins in the jungle that other people have written about, Hey, there's these interesting things in the jungle down in 
this particular latitude. And you go down there and you look at them and you go, oh, this is interesting. And then you start to find others and you say, hey, I think these are connected. And, and some people might become so f- obsessed or fascinated with it that they decide to move down there and study these ruins like uh, obsessively. And I've kind of started with one or two <laughs> ruins and started to like run around seeing more and more of the outline. And, and as I've kind of diagrammed the outlines and stared at the outlines, they've really started to like come together. And I go, oh, I think this is the outline. And if, if this is right, then I should run over here and find an ancient doorway. And if you run over there and find an ancient door and you peel away the vines and you go, oh, my goodness, look at this. There is an ancient doorway here. <laughs> and you start to really become, you're running around in the jungle going, this is crazy, this is crazy. And you're trying to tell people about it. Um, that's kind of, I'm not saying that we've got the whole outline. I'm not sure we'll ever have the whole outline of this ruins. What did this ancient ruin really mean? I'm not sure we'll ever know completely, but I'm, I've got some opinions as to what I think this whole thing was trying to tell you. And I, and I, you know, get into those in the blog and I get into those a little bit in the book, but really I'm trying to show you the outlines because I think we're all living in the middle of this ancient ruins. Physically, we've got ancient ruins around the world that are amazing that are apparently part of some kind of gigantic worldwide system. There's some reasons to believe that. Mm -hmm. So we've got that physically. And then we've also got the myths are also worldwide and they also all seem to be connected somehow. And we've also got technology connecting us like never before. So information's at our fingertips. Right. Right. So, you know, and I, I, uh, I, I'm not sure, um, we could have done this. I, I, I have been tremendously helped by being able to go online to find, for instance, the, the books of Robert Taylor from the 1800s who wrote about this in regards to the Bible are all online for free. So that's a wonderful resource. You know, we're living in a great time. Um, you know, I mean, some people might say, well, this is so, this, maybe this was meant to be kept secret. And I would say, here's, here's how I, maybe some important things to say before we finish off. If this is true, it connects all people around the world. It unites us. Unfortunately, the way these myths have been taken literally tends to divide us. Okay. For instance, speaking specifically about Christianity coming over to the new world and, you know, destroying the first nations and slaughtering, you know, American Indians and saying, you got to get rid of your language. You only can speak our language and you've got to go to our schools and learn our religion. Look, that's what is motivating that. Uh, What is underlying that attitude? You know, well, ours is true and yours is false. Ours is good and yours is not so good. That's wrong. And I can show you that it's wrong because I can show you, guess what? These myths are based on the stars. The Bible is based on the stars. Mm-hmm. And if the Bible is based on the stars, then you can't say, well, those, those guys are descended from Shem or Ham, and I'm descended from Japheth. And, uh, you know, this ancient curse put their descendants under my descendants. Wait a minute. Those are all stars. 
How could you be descended from the stars? It's not talking about literally descended from the stars. It's spiritual. Yeah, we're all spiritually descended from Adam and Eve because we all come from the spiritual realm down into this human body. That's what I think trying to tell you. So unfortunately, taking it literally tends to divide people from them, one from another and from nature and from the universe. Oh, yeah, well, I can just do whatever I want to the animals because they're below me or something. But but this actually shows that we're connected to the universe on a very deep level. That's, I mean, that's what I believe they're teaching. Um, I believe you can show that from the ancient myths. And I believe the Bible's teaching that in the same way. It's like, I think people who didn't speak the language are listening to this messenger from another culture, the Bible, the scriptures show up and they're speaking in astronomical language. And someone who doesn't speak astronomical language says, oh yeah, he said this, or she said that. <laughs> and the person who's saying it is like, it's not what I said, but you see what I mean? The, you've got to be able to speak their language to know what they're saying. And if, <laughs> and if someone who doesn't even know what they're saying says, oh yeah, he said, I'd like to be a jelly donut you don't speak their language, he could be telling you the totally wrong thing. It's like a bad comedy skit where the guy who's translating is deliberately mistranslating it. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, that makes so, sense. It's another, it's another so, piece of the puzzle that, that helps connect us all and, you know, in, in things yeah. that we have in common as opposed to separating us. Right. So I think that th this shows that actually all the myths of the world are teaching are using the same system and that we're all united. And if you want, if you want to use this metaphor, that's great. If you want to use that metaphor, that's great. They will all, you can spend your whole life plumbing to the depths of the Bible and you'll never run out of the wonderful things that it has to teach you. But I think you'll um, be able to ask it questions a lot better if you speak its language. So I'm not trying to, I'm trying to be positive, not put, be negative but i do think somebody might say well why would you tell this if it's you know maybe it's supposed to be kept secret well it's not supposed to be kept secret if you keep it secret to do violence with it so i think it's um i think it's actually given to all of us to uh as a as a wonderful treasure and i think um on once you understand that it's a metaphor then i think you can really have a relationship with the ancient texts in a new way and say, wow, now, now that I know that this is really a metaphor, a metaphorical message, what is it trying to tell me um, with this metaphor? Instead of, oh, that's interesting. You know, Gilgamesh did this. And instead of splitting babies in half with swords, let's talk about the yeah, stars. <laughs> it's not about that. It's not about that. It's something, it's trying to tell me something else. Okay. So now I can really sit there and go, okay, well, what, Maybe something about choices. Maybe it's something about life. Maybe it's something about blessing instead of cursing. Maybe it's something about, you know, I don't know. But that's what I think uh, seeing it metaphorically helps you to do. So anyway, and I think it ties in with actually, you know, we could go on for hours. I think it ties in with all the things that you're, you guys are interested in trying to figure out. We're all sitting here going, oh, this is weird. This is weird. I think the ancient texts actually give us some real answers about those subjects that we're all so interested in. And um, so I think, I think um, 
getting an appreciation for them and a love for them um, will help to understand why do we, what, what, why do these ancient, you know, Solomon actually right before he does that episode, he actually has a dream where he's given his great wisdom in a dream. Hmm. He actually has a dream immediately before the judgment of Solomon episode that we just talked about is a dream where he is approached by the divine in a dream. So actually, I think these texts are teaching us, you know, I'm not going to say my interpretation doesn't matter. I would say, go to them yourself and find out what they are telling you. Um, and uh, looking at the stars might help you do that. Right on. Yeah. I can't wait to get the book. Awesome. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on again, David. Thanks a lot guys for having me. I hope, I hope that was coherent. I really enjoy uh, listening to you guys. I think you have a great show. I really think you're doing a great service out there, kicking around these topics that are important. Look, they're important to all of us. I think everyone should be interested in all these topics. Yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for keeping in touch uh, through the months here, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll keep in touch some more for sure. Great. And, and thanks, thanks, for doing, thanks for doing what you're doing too, giving us a different way to look at everything. Right on. All right, buddy. Take care. Okay, Dave. Bye-bye. chat with uh dave matheson that was a fun one um always good to talk to dave how would you think yeah it was good thanks for coming on again dave and hitting grimerica first with your new book out yeah that's right the new book that's uh it's always good to be first in line so check that book out we'll have a link in the show notes to where you can buy that um i forgot to ask him if it's better if they buy it through his website yeah, I've actually been meaning to ask that a couple times as well. Like, where do you want people to buy yeah, the book from? Because I, I hesitate to link to Amazon all the time. I don't like, should I, you know, link to somebody else or? Link to his website and well, and you guys can, I yeah. think you can probably buy the book through there is probably the best bet. Yeah, I like how he's, how he's trying to teach people how to do this themselves too, right? Like, he's not sort of, you know, trying to hold back any proprietary method of sourcing Yeah, and he's doing it on the YouTube videos as well, so... Yeah, always good to have Dave. Maybe one day uh, it'd be good to good to sit down and have a beer with him one day. Yeah, either down well, preferably down there where it's warm, but or maybe he'll come up this. We gotta go to California. One is he? Isn't he in California? Or? Yeah, he's in California. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we feel like a lot of our listen our guests are in California. Should we make a do trip a down there. Tour. Yeah, do yeah. a little tour and meet rent some an RV. And rent an RV. Yeah, maybe. No, fuck that. We'll just sleep on the beach. <laughs> Bring our digital recorder, do some podcast. Wouldn't that be cool? Do like a week trip to do podcasts on the road? I guess. Yeah, you can't leave the family for that long. No, not to go podcasting. I'll just do it. <laughs>
There you go. We'll send Graham on the road. <laughs> so yeah, big thanks to Dave for coming on the show. And hopefully when the new books come out, I'm sure uh, he'll come back, hopefully first again. So everyone go out and uh, buy his book so he knows that coming to Grand America first was the right move. Keep your eyes on the skies. Keep your eyes on the skies. Uh, we will have a couple outside appearances coming up on Skeptico. And what was the other one we did with Chris? Yeah, so that was his podcast is called uh, Den of Lore. And I think, I don't know if he's launched yet. I'm still waiting for him to send me the link. But, well, that was a fun chat. Uh, Chris is, Chris was a fun chat. Great guy. So we'll link to that so you guys can check that out when it comes out. And uh, we'll keep you posted. Uh, as always, head over to grammerica.ca slash support. Check out all the different options. You can help us uh, heat the igloo and pay the bills and uh, keep us afloat. We can review the show. You can... Tell people about the show. You can sign people up for the newsletter and you can send me stories. Yeah, send me stories. Yeah, there's been a real uh, shortage of synchronicities. I think they're scared of the. I think they're scared of your rating, Taryn. Well, Christmas is coming, so maybe I'll be in the holiday spirit. Hey, I reneged on On a couple. Yeah, on James's. I gave him a higher score. I gave Coffee Major a higher score. I'm not ruthless. Yeah, that's true. Send them in. Don't be chicken shit. Send your stories. Yeah, and your trip reports and your lucid dreams. Like, oh man, we've got some crazy uh, stories from people. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to hear from everybody. Okay, guys, uh, have a good week. Tell your friends about this show. Bang.